Hi, this is David Ruprecht from Supermarket Sweep, and I want to remind you the next time you're at a checkout stand and you hear the beep, think of all the fun you could have on Supermarket Sweep. And I never asked to grow up, so please don't make me do it. I wasn't meant to grow up, don't think I'll make it through it. Things have been going south since I hit puberty. It looks like growing up is just Welcome to Inside Your Head. This is Nasty Neil, and I'm joined by Donnell Dadigan, the founder of the Hollywood Museum, and it's very cool to have you here. Well, thank you so much, Neil. Yes. So, what are the origins of the museum? Well, you know, that's a really good question, and I hesitate because, (laughs) um, you know, the Hollywood Museum was uh, an idea that Uh, my mother and I had to give back to the community and we were both school teachers earlier in our careers and we enjoyed the give and take back and forth with our students and it was especially inspiring and exciting when our students would learn and do well and we're so thrilled that they had learned something new and then uh, it piques their interest to want to learn something more and more and more. And so when it came time for my mother and myself uh, to want to do something special to leave our mark with the community, we decided we wanted to do something that had a thread of learning attached to it. And, you know, being born and raised in Los Angeles, uh, we looked around and thought, well, gee, what, what's the most popular thing in L.A.? What do people talk about L.A. all over the world? What's most exciting for foreigners when they come to L.A.? And I realized it was Hollywood. And I have to say in my travels, Hollywood is the one word that everybody knows. You know, everybody <laughs> uh-huh. knows the word Hollywood. So it was exciting for us to come up with the idea to want to do a museum a learning institution about the history of Hollywood, Hollywood, the entertainment industry and Hollywood, the community, how it grew because of this entertainment industry. So I suppose you could say that's how the beginning started. Yeah. So when you like, when you have the idea, you know, finding an actual place to to have it, you know, where, where did you, where did you locate the building? You know, this is the place we're going to make this museum. <laughs> well, so for all your listeners, I hope they know I'm laughing. I'm laughing uh-huh. out loud because it's uh, was uh, you know we we knew it had to be somewhere in Hollywood, but uh-huh. at the time we were looking in the late '80s, early '90s. I mean, you could have shot a cannon down Hollywood Boulevard and not hit one fatality, you know, because there was nobody coming, uh-huh. and um, it it was. Uh, It had already seen its heyday, and there was talk of a resurgence, a rejuvenation, uh, you know, a revitalization of Hollywood and Hollywood Boulevard, but it had not happened yet. And so for us, we could have had our pick of any location, any building pretty much Mm. on Hollywood Boulevard or in Hollywood, but we looked high and low, and of course, we settled on a very interesting building because of its history. And that was the Max Factor building. And that is one building south of Hollywood Boulevard on Highland Avenue. 
And this is the building where Max Factor, not only did he manufacture all of his makeup products, but this is where all the movie stars came to get their looks. Uh, there was the world famous Redheads Only Room where Lucille Ball got her signature red hair. The Blondes Only Room where Marilyn Monroe became a blonde, the color blonde we know her as. The Brunettes Only Room, the Brownettes Only Room. And, you know, the expression of these walls could talk. And I was mm -hmm. so overwhelmed by this building. Uh, when I saw it, I thought, oh, this is the place for the Hollywood Museum. You know, it's got Hollywood history already built in to it. And if these walls could talk, I wonder what they'd say. But, you know, there was only one problem, Neil. And that mm -hmm. was that the building was not for sale. Mm. So I had to find a way I could talk the owners into selling it. And the owners uh, were Procter & Gamble, you know, the very famous soap manufacturers yeah. and 10,000 other products besides. And so, including Max Factor Cosmetics. And so, it took a while, but, uh, you know, back and forth, back and forth, uh, they finally agreed to sell it to, to us. So I was very thrilled because really, if those walls could talk, can you imagine having Judy Garland, Marilyn Monroe, yeah. you know, Betty Davis, Joan Crawford, uh, Lucille mm -hmm. Ball, Lana Turner, Rita Hayworth. I mean, all these great women of the 40s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s come in, you know, and get their looks and get, get their makeup done so that the makeup artist could then duplicate it at the studio while they're doing their films. I mean, it's so exciting. Uh, mm -hmm. All of this and did, the. Uh, Elizabeth, did you did did you keep any of that part of the Hollywood Museum, like those rooms, the brunette room, the redhead room? Oh, I'm so glad you asked this question. Yes, and I am thrilled to say that I located an original set of plans dated 1935, and um, it calls out for each of these makeup rooms. It calls out the colors. Uh, that were to be painted in the makeup rooms and in the lobby, the exterior. And it called out all of the special tomploy work and finishes that they did on the walls uh, in the main lobby area where uh, all uh, women could come and buy makeup and where all the celebrities walked through this front lobby area to go into the famous makeup rooms. So, um, I was thrilled to be able to restore it back to the way it looked in 1935 when the doors opened. Oh, wow. That must have been quite uh, how, how long did that take to restore it back to the, you know, the original look? Well, the entire building needed so much work, you know, all new electrical, plumbing, HVAC, uh, refinishing, uh, repurposing, uh, the whole exterior of the building had to be redone. Marble had to be brought back in because a lot of marble was missing. Uh, it took a very long time. It took uh, about eight years. And oh, that wow. is because uh, there, were, uh, there were activists picketing. Uh, there was all sorts of problems because people were afraid we were going to change the look of the building. Mm -hmm. But in reality, I was going to return the building to its original look from 1935. Mm -hmm. So, so much custom work had to be done. Even the, even the light fixtures, the chandeliers that hang in the lobby, they are recreations of the original chandeliers. Mm -hmm. 
So you mentioned at the time when you're looking for a building, like you had your pick. So there's like, uh, you know, not a lot of, uh, a lot of, not a lot of, a lot of activity, activity on Hollywood Boulevard and it's a lot different now. So over those years, when did that really start to pick up? When did, you know, Hollywood, uh, get that resurgence of, 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 uh, people coming? So I would probably say, uh, in the two thousands, maybe a little before, but, uh, in, uh, by, 2003, we were moving in that direction, and 2007, 8, 9, you know, it it really picked up. We had a couple of slow years, but then it picked up again, but it was slow everywhere. But I would say for Hollywood, really, it started in the uh, mid-2000s. You could see a difference, and it was Mm -hmm. just the beginning, just the beginning. Mm So when you put when you uh, you know come up with your exhibits, uh, how how do you get you know the things that are in there? Are they uh, do people come to you or do you go and seek them out? Well, you know, um, I'm always asked that question, mm-hmm. and I have to tell you, uh, it's uh, very interesting because when we first started, um, I uh, had so many arrangements with different studios that they were going to participate. But then 9-11 happened. And before we opened the doors, all of a sudden, everything that was supposed to be coming to our way uh, was no longer going to be coming our way because studios had to tighten their belts and use all of their discretionary income that they had and move it only to focus on security. Mm-hmm. And the honorary mayor of Hollywood, Johnny Grant, the man who used to give this, all the stars out on the Walk of Fame, um, he had told me, uh, my nickname is my initials, so it's D.D., and he'd say, D.D., don't bother to open that museum unless it's filled with memorabilia. Mm -hmm. And so I then realized, oh, my. Uh, So I collected some memorabilia, but then it was like I uh, was put on steroids where I had to really start (laughs) to collect, and then I had to reach out to uh, different collectors uh, who uh, had their favorite uh, characters or entertainers uh, that they collected uh, mm-hmm. and to the stars themselves and to their families. And that's yeah. how we got started. But today, I am thrilled to say that every studio, every production company, whether it's television, whether it's film or the new digital media, uh, they all participate as well as the celebrities themselves, their family members, uh, their heirs, uh, their fan clubs, and so many private collectors love mm-hmm. to work with the museum. And I'm just thrilled. It's like we built a family. Mm-hmm. And since you know Hollywood itself has such a history and there's so many eras of Hollywood, um, I know I like that you have like from different things. You have you know, Marilyn Monroe, which I think a lot of people think of like classic Hollywood, and then you know more. Uh, contemporary things like Back to the Future, and do you keep that in mind so you have things from different time periods, you know, to, uh, you know, to to interest everybody. Well, yes, yes. You know, uh, we like to say there's something for everyone, mm-hmm. and so we uh, do keep that in mind. And uh, people from all over the world certainly know who Marilyn Monroe is. And we Mm -hmm. have the largest collection of Marilyn Monroe memorabilia on display at all times in the world. Uh, But, you know, um, 
young people, they enjoy, like you were saying, Back to the Future or Batman or superheroes. And we have exhibits for young people, for uh, people who like action figures, action adventure. And uh, whenever we do an exhibit, though, it's quite something like our Back to the Future exhibit uh, that's on display now. Uh, we did this with the co-creator, Bob Gale. Uh, he was so helpful and so instrumental in every um, move that we made and who to contact and what to display and how to display it and what to say about it. I'm so appreciative so that when visitors come to see this exhibit, they're seeing it not only through the eye of the Hollywood Museum, but they're seeing it through the eye of the co-creator, of the creator, Bob Gale, and -hmm. what he thought was interesting. We even have some of his personal notes, uh, what he was creating the first movie, the second movie, and the third film of the trilogy. So it's fun for everyone to see that, you know, the big legal size paper, yellow paper. Mm-hmm. He wrote it in pencil, you know. I mean, it's uh, it's quite something when you think about it. Yeah, uh, definitely. To be able to display that because not everyone has access to that. Mm-hmm. Now, I have uh, Burt Ward coming on uh, later in the show, and uh, I know he's done a lot with the with the Hollywood Museum. Uh, do you have any uh, personal like memories with Burt Ward and his uh, appearances there? Well, we love Burt Ward, and you tell him hello from D.C. from the Hollywood Museum. But uh, yes, you know Burt and his wife Tracy. Oh, they're just so adorable, those two. Uh, Burt never ages. It's the funniest thing, you know. It's <laughs> like uh, he he he's still Robin, and mm-hmm. uh, he was with us the night we opened the Batman exhibit, and that exhibit uh, was quite something with the Batmobile. Um, you know, the original Batman and Robin costumes, uh, the, the all of the different villains, their costumes, uh, and so many of the props. And, you know, a lot of the props uh, were just made from children's toys that they kind of, you know, um, yeah. souped up, shall we say, amplified <laughs> them to make them look like uh, guns and make them look like uh, uh, different types of, uh, of destructive equipment. I, I find it so interesting uh, because uh, the creativeness that went behind this show that was only supposed to be a mid-season replacement and maybe last for one season only. Look mm-hmm. what it turned into. Yeah, it's uh, iconic. and Even that show itself is like uh, a, a tribute to Hollywood because, you know, so many stars wanted to be on and had, you know, either played the villains or cameos. So it's really a perfect thing for the museum. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, um, even uh, Zsa Gabor was on it. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I was talking to her husband uh, and uh, a couple of months ago, and he was saying how, uh, she uh, had fun doing that because uh, it, it, people didn't take her so seriously. They knew she was going to be fun and games, but yet she was a villainess. And mm-hmm. he said that she really enjoyed that. Uh, so that was kind of nice. Uh, but we, we do meet quite a few of the uh, the villains and whatnot. And Julie Newmar, who played mm-hmm. uh, the original Catwoman, she is a great yeah. friend of the museum. And then, mm-hmm. of course, uh, she was replaced by Eartha Kitt, and a little bit of trivia, I went to school with Eartha Kitt's daughter. And oh, really? So, uh, yes, Kit Shapiro. And so Kit was, uh, uh, at the opening of the uh, exhibit, was uh, uh, at the exhibit along with Burt Ward and his wife, Tracy. 
uh, as well as Lee Merriweather, uh, who, uh, as you know, uh, played Catwoman also in the film. Uh, and uh, uh, sadly, though, that evening, Julie Newmar wasn't able to attend, but uh, she sent her regards and best wishes through a letter. But, uh, yeah. yes, it's, uh, it's, it's fun, you know, how you have an exhibit and you meet people and you develop relationships and friendships and then they give you an idea for something else or they introduce you to someone else. And that person is either a, a great collector from their television show or from their film. And one thing leads to another. And that's how we came up with the idea to do the Batman exhibit. Mm-hmm. Now, I would never ask your favorite thing in there because, you know, you can't pick your favorite. But what are some of your, like, your personal, like, memories, your, your, the most personal things to you uh, that are in the museum? Well, Neil, I got to, first of all, compliment you because everyone always asks, what's your favorite? And I have to uh-huh. say each time. As the president and the founder of the Hollywood Museum, it would be very hard for me to tell you what my favorite <laughs> right. is, even yeah. though I may have one, but I can't tell. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. But I think one of my favorite uh, memories was Elizabeth Taylor coming uh, toward the yeah. end of her life, and she brought uh, the hat from National Velvet uh, that she wore. Uh, that when when she little jockey cap, black velvet cap, and um, she wanted to present it to me, and she had another costume that she wore in a television film, and so I thought, oh, this is so nice, how exciting, and I thought this would be just wonderful. I should meet her. We should come and have our conversation in the brunette's only room, because that is the room where Max Factor would make her up for each of her mm-hmm. films before she would go to the Lisa's because once upon a time, there was no such thing as a makeup department in the studios. Now that didn't mm-hmm. happen until later on. And so, uh, I, we came into the brunettes only room, but these pink covered walls with darker pink trim and darker pink, um, carpeting and with the mirror work and everything. And she looked around and she said, I remember being in this room and I asked her, I said, what's her most fond memory? And she said, well, I was very young. And she said, we had to figure out what I was going to look like when my hair is being cut so that they could pay the entrance fee for the horse pie in the movie National Velvet. And here she's bringing me the hat, her hat from National Velvet. Mm -hmm. And so I said, really? She said, you know, she said, they fit me with a wig. And they cut the wig. And she said, I didn't want to wear the wig. But my mother insisted because my mother did not want my real hair cut. Mm. So she says, I put this wig on. And she said, you know, she said, it was the first time I wore a wig. She said that I liked because she says it wasn't anything special. It just looked like my own hair. So I was very happy. She says, my real hair was pinned up underneath. And she said, I had this wig on and they were going to cut my hair. And she says, and they did. She says, that's my first real memory of being in the brunette's only room. So when she says this, Neil, I pulled out these photos from the Max Factor archive that showed her wearing the wig. Oh, wow. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, it, it was kind of fun. And she looked at it and she just, 
she shook her head and she said, well, I think I've come to the right place. She, <laughs> says, I th- I, she says, she says you, you have a love for this. This is all fine. So I think that's one of my favorite memories of Elizabeth Taylor coming to the museum. Yeah, that's amazing. So I know you have the, uh, you have all those uh, photos there. Was there anything else uh, that was like left over in the building when you got it? Any like little rel- relics you found? No, you know, it's a very interesting thing because when I, Got, came to the museum, there was the Max Factor uh, makeup museum that was there. And mm-hmm. um, when that closed, they took everything with them. Okay. So, you know, but um, the beauty calibrator is fabulous. And I was so thrilled to be able to get that. It originally was on display in the museum. Then it left, but then I was able to bring it back. And... Um, it now will be there because now the museum owns it. But mm. it was this fabulous contraption that was seen in many horror uh, 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 music videos and in horror, can't be horror films in mm. the 80s and 90s. Mm. And Interesting. it's this metal contraption that you put over your head with that looks like a cage with lots of wire. And then there's these uh, little knobs that you uh, you turn clockwise or counterclockwise to tighten up or to loosen it up. And Max Factor would take the measurements of how far apart your eyebrows were, space, or how wide your nose was or how short it was, how thin or thick your lips were, uh, your your jawline, everything like this. And it was very weird. But what he would do is this is what he used in the 30s and 40s and 50s to measure his actors' looks and characters. He would measure to see if your eyes were too far apart, then he knew he had to kind of bring them closer together. And how could he do that? Through makeup shading. Mm -hmm. Uh, He knew if you didn't have cheekbones, they didn't show, he knew he'd have to create them, but exactly where. If your lips were too thick or too thin, he would recreate the shape. Uh, if your jawline wasn't prominent enough, he would give you some definition. If it was too strong, he would soften it by using a different color of shading. Your nose, he would recreate. Your nose, he would give you, he could give you a thinner bridge or a thicker bridge. He could narrow your nose down. He could uh, uh, do all sorts of things. It was quite extraordinary. And it was all from this contraption that is on display in our brunettes only room. Mm. Very cool. And, uh, you mentioned uh, horror movies, and I'm a you know big horror movie fan since I was a kid. And uh, I know you have uh, the Dungeon of Doom exhibit for Halloween, and you've had uh, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. And um, are are you yourself a horror movie fan? And uh, what are some of your uh, favorite? Not your favorite. What what are some of the memorable uh, horror exhibits you've had throughout the years? So I would have to tell you, I am not a fan. I'm scared to death of it. Uh-huh. <laughs> Fair <laughs> but enough. The, the lower level. The Dungeon of Doom is dedicated year-round to all horror films. And I am thrilled to tell you that we have the jail cells and the walk through the jail cells from Silence of the Lambs. Mm, That's pretty wild. And it is quite wild. And we have, uh, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Hannibal Lecter's jail cell with his mask, Mm. uh, the pass-through where they would pass the food through to him, toilet paper, whatever was needed. And, uh, the jail cell is set up to look just like it looked in the film with his, uh, with his cot, with the sink, with the toilet, with his toiletries, uh, with the 
painting, but the, I should say the pencil sketches that he drew during his incarceration. It's quite something. And in fact, if any of your listeners do have the 30th anniversary version of Silence of the Lambs, uh, on the special added bonus uh, material, uh, there is an interview with John Douglas, who was the the person who authenticated all of the look of the jail cells. He's actually being interviewed in Hannibal Lecter's jail cell in the oh, lower wow. level of the museum. That's and pretty they sweet. thank the museum. Yeah, they mm-hmm. thank the museum for that. Yeah. yeah. That's very cool. So um, over the years, obviously, people come from all over the, the country and all over the world to go there. Uh, do you have any memories of, like, a, a fan that's come there, you know, from another, another country or anything that stands out to you? Well, you know, we get so many of them from all over, and they're all yeah. fans. They all tell us what they are. But I think one of my most... Uh, well, let's see. One time we had a proposal. Oh, really? Yeah, that's that very nice. Was, yes, in the Marilyn Monroe room, mm-hmm. and the uh, the 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 young lady, uh, she was a Marilyn Monroe fan, and so her boyfriend brought her in, and he put her in. And they were in the blondes only room where Marilyn Monroe became a blonde, and mm-hmm. uh, he had arranged it with me. Could he have a few minutes alone in the room without any other visitors in there? And I said, of course. And he got down on one knee and he proposed to her in that room, oh, that's surrounded sweet. by all Marilyn Monroe memorabilia and photographs of Marilyn. Oh, wow. You know, we've had uh, Lucille Ball impersonators come and want to, you know, uh, be in the redheads only room. And one time we had a group of three of them uh, that each, uh, tried to figure out who looked best in that room. And we always giggled because the story goes that Max Factor created these different color makeup rooms because of the invention of color harmony because of the three strip technicolor film that was first started in the 1930s. And so Max Factor would create these neutral colors for each of your hair color. So like the blondes only room, that had blue. It's all in light blue shades. The redheads only room is all in light green shades. The brunettes only is all in beautiful pink shades. And the brownettes only, which Neil, if you know what a brownette is, you can't see me, but I'll fall off my chair if you know what a brownette is. <laughs> I do not know, actually. <laughs> well, Max Factor thought 80% of brunettes were really brownettes. Brownettes was anyone who had medium brown hair or lighter. And so that was, uh, that had beautiful shade of peach and beige. But uh, so we had these three dueling Lucille Ball impersonators in the redheads only room. And all of a sudden they looked in it with the green shades of green on the walls and they looked at their skin tone and they realized, oh my goodness, what's wrong? And so we gave them the crash course that Max Factor's makeup rooms really had nothing to do with your complexion. It had everything to do with your hair color. And so Max Factor thought whatever your hair color was, that's why if you changed your hair color, you'd have to change your makeup. And so, you know, the fun part is to ask all your listeners, how many of them have ever seen people, you know, that have a new hair color and it looks fabulous, but just not on them. And Mm, that's because they don't change their original makeup shades to match the new hair color. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, I've never dyed my hair, so I don't have to worry about that. But uh, 
Well, you go I think ask I, your I, mother. <laughs> I will ask my mom. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think I would probably, I don't think my hair is quite long enough for the brownette room. I'm probably in the brunette room, but. You and me both. All right. Fair enough. Well, I really I enjoy that. talking with you and people could check out the Hollywood Museum online and hopefully when everything's back to normal. Uh, everyone can start going to the Highwood Museum again. And next time I'm out in, in out in that, that area, I would love to uh, love to go. I was out there in December, and uh, hopefully I'll be back out there soon. Uh, well, when you do come out to LA to visit mm-hmm. Hollywood, please give me a call, and I will personally give you a tour of the Hollywood Museum. I would love that. Thank you very much. Thank you, Neil. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Have a good night. All my high school friends are off in college now. And I get high and watch TV all day. Living in my mother's basement's really not that bad. I got everything I need and I don't pay. Don't make me do it I wasn't meant to grow up Don't think I'll make it through it Things have been going south Since I hit puberty It looks like growing up Is just too much for me I was doing fine When I was still a kid Swapping baseball cards And playing ball Then came high school classes that I couldn't understand And girls who wouldn't notice me at all But I never asked to grow up So please don't make me do it I wasn't meant to grow up Don't think I'll make it through it Things have been going south since I hit puberty It looks like growing up is just I just agree with them But I say not now No, not right now But when I say I need to get a life I just agree with them But I don't know how No, I don't know for me.